Well, welcome everyone. Did everyone eat well? Yes. Well, good, good, good. Okay. Well, thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. Um, no, it is great to have you all here. Thank you for coming. Uh, welcome uh, to what I promise you or your money back, double your money back, uh, will be a very worthwhile amount of time. So I want to welcome you here. I want to welcome you guys who are, we got several folks watching live stream as well. So uh, I know Angela Fobbs is watching live stream. So Angela, welcome. Uh, very special guest though as well watching tonight is JD Blue with his mom, uh, Rochelle, dad, Johnny, JD, thank you for watching. We hope you enjoy yourself. And uh, for all others watching live stream or video delay, delay thank you so much. Well, my name is Frank Loria, and I have the privilege of kind of hosting and bringing the presentations of the Alpha course over these eight weeks that we, I trust we will have together. I can tell you a little bit about me, then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history of the Alpha course, because I was just asking at my table a minute ago, do you any, have any idea what to expect tonight? They said, have no idea. I said, well, n neither does anyone else. So we'll just see what happens. But... Um, but I'll give you a little bit about me and then the history of Alpha and why I believe it is going to be worth your while to consider spending the next seven Tuesdays with us, other than dinner and you don't have to clean up. Um, so a bit about me. I uh, owned a business uh, in New Orleans for uh, worked there and owned it for about 40, just short of 44 years. I just sold it about a year ago. and. Uh, did not retire and then came immediately over here and I am now gone from a full-time business world to almost the full-time pastor world here at Lakeview Christian Center. Uh, we've attended this church, Annette and I have for, gosh, just short, March 15th will be 44 years. There's a lot of 44s in my world here. I played, that was my number in the football team, it was 44. What is, this is crazy. Um, Anyway, uh, but before I go on, I need to introduce you to my better three quarters on her worst day. And that is my bride, Annette. I, you can't see her live stream, but sweetheart, would you stand up for a moment and just see how gorgeous she is? She is my bride of 45 years, uh, five months, 24 days, eight hours, and about 38 minutes. And uh, she has, uh, we have three grown kids that are married to three other grown kids. Um, and they have given us 12 grandkids. Um, both Annette and I grew up in New Orleans. And Annette went to Dominican High School. Any other Debs here this evening? We got it. Well, we got it. We have one other Deb. Yeah, well, that's nice. Um, and, uh, and I went to an all-boy military school uh, called New Orleans Academy. Uh, I, I did graduate with distinction from the academy. Uh, I graduated in the top 18 of my class of 21. Um, I chose not to pursue a college education, so I attended Louisiana State University, um, where I could pursue so many other things that I couldn't pursue at home. Um, I joined the wildest fraternity on campus. I was a deke at LSU. Um, you may want to leave now. Um, but that's really at the first football party. Uh, that's where I, I first met Annette. Uh, she was uh, swinging from a chandelier. And uh, 
That's really where she, she, she first caught my eye uh, with her heel. And then my shoulder with her knee and down we went and she's just been all over me ever since. So at least that's the way I'm trying to train myself to remember that. Um, so more about me later. But uh, the Alpha course actually had its start in London, England back in the, the mid-1970s with just a little fledgling Bible study in a little Anglican church called Holy Trinity Church Brompton. And a guy by the name of Nicky Gumbel uh, became the, the rector of this church and he turned this little Bible study into what is today a course that is held all over the world uh, in over a uh, hundred languages in, in over 130 countries and is, is done by virtually every Christian uh, denomination. And uh, over 30 million people have attended the Alpha course worldwide. Now here at, at, at Lakeview, we've done Alpha since, interesting is the week to the day after 9-11. So 9-11, 2001. There were a lot of questions that night. Um, but in the 22 years we've held Alpha, we probably had over 9,000, clo closing in on 10,000 people. And we've, had, and we've had church leaders from virtually every denomination. Um, we've had several uh, Catholic priests that have come and Catholic uh, educators. As a matter of fact, uh, the senior pastor from St. Angela Marisi Church, uh, Beau Charbonnet, has come, he brought his entire Christian education department. He told them, you cannot sit at the same table, and he spread them all through the room. If you know Bo, he's a great man, and, and he has honored us so much because people will go to, to him at, at St. Angela and say, Bo, show us how to do Alpha. And he says, oh, no, 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 you go to Lakeview Christian Center. So uh, we have been most blessed and uh, humbled by Bo's appreciation of, of uh, what we get to do here. So what is Alpha. Alpha is an opportunity to find out what's in the Bible because most of us don't know what's in the Bible. We may have grown up religious. We may have grown up going to church. Uh, we may have grown up thinking or believing we're Christians. So Alpha is an opportunity to, to kind of find out what is in the Bible. It's an introduction to biblical Christianity. It's an opportunity to think to reason and to listen in a totally non-threatening atmosphere about what the Bible has to say about God, what the Bible has to say about you and me. And, and, and that's why what we're going to do tonight, I think, is so important because we, t we rarely take the time to think about things that we really have the questions to. Isn't that interesting? We have questions, but we keep putting the most important questions to the side because life is so immediate. Life is so urgent. This has got to get done. This has got to happen. Um, so, but let me tell you also what Alpha is not. Uh, Alpha is not an opportunity that we're taking here at Lakeview Christian Center to try to get you to change your church or your denomination. Um, this is not a church membership drive. This is about eight weeks at the Alpha course. And if we never see you again, that's up to you. So I don't expect you to believe that because you don't know me from Adam's house cat. But it's the truth. And so many people have come to Alpha and we have this many people show up at Alpha. And this is actually a little smaller crowd at Alpha. 
because it's our desire at Lakeview Christian Center to introduce folks to what the Bible has to say. So obviously we believe it's true. But we're not insisting that you believe it's true. Nobody's going to force anything down your throat. You can come here and talk if you want and say what you think and not have to worry about anything except the tasers that each table facilitator is wearing. <laughs> so if you do get out of line. Um, so, so our hope is that in our 100 mile an hour lives, we're just going to, would you just maybe just hit the pause button and take a few hours to think about not just what you believe, but why do you believe what you believe? And what you don't believe. Well, why do you, why do you not believe what you do not believe? It was uh, Socrates who said this. He said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, what most of us are looking for in life, we'd say we're looking for happiness, meaning, purpose, fulfillment. Well, my question is, what is your definition of happiness? What, what, I mean, what if your definition of happiness is being a 260-pound uh, fullback for the New Orleans Saints, and you blow your knee out, and that to you was life, and you'll never play another down to football? What if it's a surgeon, and you have a, a horrible accident, and your hands are left crippled, and you'll never do another surgery? What if it's a life of someone you love dearly and suddenly, unexpectedly, that person is longer, longer here and they gave you meaning in life? Is life over then? And so Alpha is going to give us an opportunity to think about these things deeply. But as I said, for that to happen, it's going to take an investment of time. Uh, we're going to have to tap the brakes. Maybe we're going to have to slam the brakes. Maybe we're going to have to get somebody to boot the car so we stay around long enough to really give thought-filled reasoning to why we believe what we believe, not just what we believe. Uh, a guy by the name of Oz Guinness, author and teacher, wrote this. Follow this with me. He says, most of us feel immortal in our teens and 20s, then move through life so fast in our 30s and 40s that we lose sight of the journey and think only of our careers. Even in our 50s, we barely hear the roar of the rapids several bends down the river. Have you awakened to the journey of life? Or are you among those drifting down the years? Are you among those caught up on the project of themselves that they choose not to hear the flow of time? Are you living an examined life? It sounds like he and Socrates may have gotten together. Or are you living in the hand-me-down ideas of others? Good question about to come up here. Are you open to the full interrogation of life? Or are you closed to the search because you believe what you've always believed without question? Now you think of people that you know, have made it to the, you know, to the upper level of life, people that have considered the tops of their profession. I mean, certainly they wouldn't have any questions about meaning and purpose, right? Well, apparently they do. I don't know if you know who this is. Anybody know who this is? Okay, Freddie Mercury, right? Founder of, lead singer, piano player for Queen. 
Freddie Mercury died at 45 years of age from complications from AIDS. Incredible, incredible musician, songwriter. This is what he, this is what is written that he said. He said, you can have everything in the world and still, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Hmm. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds. But it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. You want to say, can you imagine how terrible it is when you've got everything and you're still desperately lonely? That is awesome and awful, rather, beyond words. Maybe we recognize this guy, Matthew Perry. Matt Perry died October 28th of this last year, found by his assistant in his hot tub. He was one of the six stars of Friends, one of the most successful sitcoms ever. Um, Matthew Perry struggled with alcohol abuse and drugs. Um, this is what he said in his book, Friends, Lovers, and, Big, and the Big Terrible Thing. He said, nobody wanted to be famous more than me. I was 25. It was the second year of Friends. And eight months into it, I realized the American dream is not making me happy. Not filling the holes in my life. I couldn't get enough attention. Listen to this. Fame does not do what you think it's going to do. It was all a trick. By whom? It's an interesting thing. Who are you blaming, Matthew, for this trick? This video I'm about to show you is from Tom Brady. It's from 2005. It's an interview with Steve Croft of 60 Minutes. At this time, Tom Brady had only won three Super Bowl rings. But I would, I, if I was a betting man, I would bet you that Tom Brady would say the same thing in 2020, whenever he won that last Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, that, he would, that you'll see him say just now. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a, I know, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Yeah. A lot of parts about me I'm trying to find. And so we added four more. So he, has eight, he had eight rings. One of them was a wedding ring. And unfortunately, he doesn't have that one anymore. Some of you guys know Ted Turner, founder of CNN, TBN. Worth $2.6 billion during an interview with Barbara Walters, 
she asked Ted Turner this question. Ted, what do you mean by success? What to you is successful? And he said this, I think it's kind of an empty bag, tell you the truth. You have to get there to really know that. Not many of us are going to get there. Money doesn't buy happiness, and neither does honors or position and awards or trophies. Now, here's a man, one of the most wealthy, successful men on the planet. And he says, it's kind of an empty bag. He says, excuse me, Ted, can I just hold your empty bag for maybe just a year and get the interest off your empty, empty bag? Um, but you have, to get, you have to get there to really know that. I, I'm, I'm not so sure about that because most of us won't get there and we're still struggling at our level for is there more to life than this than Mr. Turner at his level now at age 85. Donald Kalish was the chairman of the philosophy department at UCLA from 1964 to 1970. Uh, he was interviewed um, by Time magazine and he was being asked about meaning and purpose in life and philosophy and worldview. And this is what Dr. Kalish says. <laughs> I'd love to have been one of his students. He says, there is no system of philosophy to spin out. There are no ethical truths. There are just clarifications of particular ethical problems. Take advantage of these clarifications and work out your own existence. You are mistaken to think that anyone ever had the answers. There are no answers. Be brave and face up to it. Well, with all due respect to the late Dr. Kalish, he contradicts himself when he says there are no answers. To say there are no answers is in fact an answer to the question, are there any answers? Think about that. The professor also said that life has no purpose, but he made it his purpose to tell people that life has no purpose. Should we believe Dr. Kalish's worldview, his philosophy, his conclusions? Why? What makes Dr. Kalish the authority? What evidence does Dr. Kalish have that I should support his position? Because the Bible, and I'm not asking you to believe it, but the Bible takes serious issue with Dr. Kalish. The Bible that I had never read does claim to have answers for the most important questions that everyone has in life. Now, now let me ask you this question. Jan, just raising your hand for a minute. How many of you was, grew up, just kind of as a course of life, reading the Bible? Just raise your hand. It was something you did all the time. Don't be shy. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, I don't have 10 hands here. So that's interesting then, that so few of us in this room actually grew up reading the Bible. Now, the Bible claims to have answers to worldview questions like, where did I come from? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? The Bible claims that God made you and me to have meaning and purpose. We get that from the Bible. But again, I'm not asking you just to believe this because I'm saying it. As a matter of fact, I'm not asking you to believe anything I'm saying. You have to make these decisions for yourself. I'm not standing up here as an authority, just reporting. But if the Bible is true, 
Jesus, who is the central figure of the Bible. And next week, our topic is who is Jesus. It's going to be a lot deeper than you may expect. He made some incredible claims. He said he came that you and I would have life and have it more abundantly. Now, if he says he's coming to give us life, I don't think he's coming to give us what we already have. If he says there's life he's coming to give us, there must be something he's coming to give us that we may think that we have. But what he says we don't have without him could be true, could be false. But regardless, to believe that requires faith. Now, my question is, are you, are you a person of faith? Do you have faith? Not much. Um, but understand this. We exercise faith every day. Faith is not necessarily a religious thing. We exercise faith all through the day, every day. Um, you ever watch a weatherman hoping to find out the, the, the weather report? Yeah, and just but you watch you watch the weatherman uh, in in faith, don't you? You believe that you're going to get a proper you know forecast, and so the the the, the weatherman says it's going to be a gorgeous weekend. Saturday, there's not going to be a cloud in the sky. The temperature is going to be 72. There's not going to be any wind. It's going to be beautiful. And so you hear that, and so you start. You go to the grocery store and you're picking up all the chicken and ribs and everything you want and you got the barbecue pit you're bringing everything out to the picnic you got the whole family coming and all of a sudden and and this happens now this guy's still on his cell phone he may not know that it's I mean, you can see people huddled all over. They're, they're probably scheming how they're going to kill this so-called meteorologist. But the one that got my attention mostly was this guy right here. Let me, let me show you. He is, he is going to, he's going to save his beer. Um, you need two hands to open that umbrella. And uh, so, so it's like if we could read his thoughts, if, if we could read his thoughts like, heck with the rain, i got to save my beer. And uh, so tremendous Tremendous skills and a cumin right there. Um, <laughs> you guys drive here tonight? Most people drove here, I imagine. You drove here in faith, didn't you? I went out to the parking lot. I saw some of your cars. Some of you drove here in much more faith than others. But, but when you drive, do you know you're going to get here? Do you know that when you hit the brakes, the brakes are going to stop? Do you know when the light turns green for you and it's red for the other person that they're actually going to stop? You drive in faith. It's not blind faith, but it's faith. You don't know. Okay? I, I trust you enjoyed your meal tonight. Did, did you meet the chef? Do you have any kind of idea what kind of, what kind of mood he, he was in? Oh, this is, I'm sorry, I blew that. Uh, <laughs> that's the weatherman being taken away. Um, but but did, you, did, you, did you meet the chef? He just, he was in a bad mood. He did not want to do this again. And so we added something a little special to it. Now, when he, when he adds something a little special to it, that's going to give you a little bit, just wait a couple of hours. And uh, 
you know, but if you start feeling that and all of a sudden the doctor says, uh, you go to see the doctor, um, what kind of doctor are you going to go see? Is, is this the doctor that you're going to be looking for? Um, what happened, Mike? What just happened? Okay. No, this, this is what has to happen. Wow. There we go. All right, we're starting over from the very beginning. So how many of you like flying? Just love to fly. Strange people. Strange people. Okay, you talk about faith, right? You talk about faith. Uh, what, what about this flight? Um, yeah, flight uh, 1549, U.S. Air Flight 1549, January 15th, 2009. Water temperature, 35 degrees. Air temperature, 18 degrees. Okay, I mean, this gives new ma meaning to flying on a wing and a prayer, doesn't it? Um, but, uh, and U.S. Airways did not charge any extra for this additional little drop in, in, in the Hudson here. But we found out what the, you know, the reason for this, this fight, the issue was illegal aliens. Did you know this? It was another border issue. It was an immigration problem. A gaggle of undocumented, illegal Canadian geese flew right through the jet. And I thought, I like, I thought that was gonna get a better laugh than that. Um, but we all have faith, we all have faith. If you, go, if you go stand before a judge, if anybody's been on a jury, okay, and, and the judge said, he, he charges you to, to make a decision beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, the more evidence that there is, the more chance that there is going to be a conclusion that is a intelligently faith-based conclusion. Now, let me ask you one other question. I want to... Um, ask you right now how many of you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat and you believe it's going to be good just raise your hand if you do okay just hold it up here. again just just let me just i'm not counting here so don't worry i'm not putting on the hook okay all right now now um let me ask i've asked my two grandsons to come help me very quickly because i can see i'm running a little bit behind time nathan micah but you're gonna do this Okay, grab, come over, I'll go all the way over there. Micah, hold it tight. Okay, now Nathan is holding up this ruler which represents physical life. Now every one of us, so here's the beginning of life, here's the end of life. Now none of us knows where we are on this continuum of life, do we? We don't know if we're right here. Can you see that? Don't, don't let them not see their... We don't, know where, we don't know where we are. We don't know how many beats of the heart we have left, do we? We don't. Now, you just said that you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever, and you believe it's going to be good. So here's physical life. King Solomon says it's just a vapor. King David says it's just the breadth of a hand. I mean, I got to 67 years in what felt like 67 minutes. Uh, so, so here's the question that I have. 
we spend so much time trying to figure out where we're going to go to school, what we're going to study, what kind of car we're going to buy, what neighborhood we're going to live in. Uh, we spend longer figuring out where we're going to vacation than the time we're actually going to vacation. We spend all this time on things that take very, they're just a moment in time. But here's the question. This is going to last such a little bit of time, but this, you just said, you believe there's something on the other side of your last, of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever and you're, it's going to be good. My question is this. Why do you believe that? What's your evidence? How can you encourage me to believe what you believe about that and why you believe that? So we spend so much time in this very little continuum of physical life trying to make sure we can get it as right as we possibly can. But when it comes to the other side of our last heartbeat, most of us... Well, we may believe there's a God. We just hope we die on a good day. We just, we just hope that we've been good enough. But is good enough good enough? Is your good enough good enough for God or this higher power if he is one? And so what I'm hoping that we'll do during this Alpha is, again, realize, yeah, we need to make some decisions here. But there's something on the other side of our last heartbeat, if you're right, that's going to last forever. The question is, what gets me where I want to be? And who makes that decision? Is it me? Am I God? Do I make the decision? Or does God make that decision? And what is that decision? And how do I know that? Can I know that? It's, it's, uh, hang on there for a minute. It's C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a devout atheist um, who became a follower of Christ. You guys are probably familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. You're probably familiar with uh, some of Lewis's writings. He was a, a, a professor of ancient English literature at both Cambridge and Oxford. And he said this, he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was not made for this world. So what I'm hearing you say is you do believe there's more than, we'll just call the physical line the dash, and this the line. Lewis said somewhere else that if you, if you aim for heaven, if you aim for the line, you get the earth thrown in. If you aim for earth, Lewis said, you get neither. You lose both. Now, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. But his position from ardent atheist to passionate follower of Jesus Christ, one of the most intelligent men that lived. So let's thank my grandson. He just did such a great job. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Michael. Ray Pritchard, author and speaker, said this. He says, we're made to know God. We're incurably religious by nature. That's why every human society, no matter how primitive, has some concept of a higher power, some vision of reality that goes beyond the natural. That is so true. It, you could travel into the darkest areas, the backwoods of Africa 
or anywhere in there is a concept of something greater than we. Why is that? Why is that? He says every human society has some concept of a higher power. Augustine, who was the 300 AD's version of Hugh Hefner, if you know anything about Augustine, Augustine was quite the philander. He was quite the ladies' man. But he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And in one of his prayers, he says, You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Restless. I think if ever a word defined humans today, it could be that word restless. Some would be hopeless. Lots of words have become more compounded in their effect of us. It seems particularly since COVID. We seem to have trouble finding our way. And that's the Bible's declaration of the necessity of the incarnation of the Son of God. And if you will, heaven's rescue mission into the earth to win back the inhabitants of earth to God. To win us back to him. Now, maybe you've seen Christianity, your life is boring or untrue or irrelevant. I don't know. But our hope is that just through these times that we have together, you'll see that it's just the opposite. Anything but that. Um, there, are dec- there, are, there are things and statements and declarations that Jesus make about, makes about himself that, if true, make A life of knowing Jesus Christ, more abundant, more fulfilling than anything this world can offer us. I'm going to touch on just three things as I'm closing up here in just a minute about himself that, if true, have dash and line now and forever consequences. Jesus went on, he said this in the 14th chapter when he was questioned by the apostle Thomas What's the way, Jesus? We don't know the way. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Well, let's first look at this. He said, I am the way. He said, he was. And this is interesting. Catch this. He said, he was the way. He didn't say the rules, keeping the rules about him were the way. He didn't see the, say the laws or commandments were the way. He didn't say that church attendance was the way. He didn't say that doing good was the way. He didn't say praying was the way. He didn't say giving money was the way. He said something about him, a relationship with him, something not institutional, but something most intimate and personal. He said, I am the way. Jesus understood the condition of each of our hearts, that our hearts are restless, unsettled, wayward, empty, even confused, heartbroken, sinful. You fill in whichever one most fits you. But the heart of Christianity, the heart of biblical Christianity is not rule keeping. It's knowing the person of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Here's a, again, here's from the Gospel of John, Gospel of St. John, the 10th chapter, the 9th and 10th verse. Jesus says this, as, he, as in the 14th chapter, he says he's the way. He says, I am the door. If 
Anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I have come that they may have, might have life and have it more abundantly. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from going the wrong. If what he is saying is true, saved from going the wrong way. This is his comment. If he was talking to you tonight, he would say, I am the way to keep you from going the wrong way. He would tell each and every one of us that tonight. If you came up to him individually, he would say to you, Franco, I am the way to keep you from going in the wrong direction. But this is to go in and out and find pasture. This, this statement pasture here is so good because it's a statement of peace. And satisfaction and security. And Jesus also said here, I'm the way, I am the truth. Now some would ask, particularly in the, in the realm of religion, isn't it enough just to be sincere about what you believe? Isn't it enough just to sincerely believe something? Uh, does it really matter what you believe as long as you believe it strongly enough? My question is, what does sincerity have to do with the truth? I'm talking about right or wrong. Now, for many years of my life, I sincerely believed things about God that I have come to find out were not true. It was my opinion. But it was not true at all. Does it matter what we believe? And I, I would argue that it does. Does it matter what we believe? Some would say, it's not what you believe, but that you believe. Now, that sounds fairly esoteric. It's not what you believe. I think you have to say that with a pipe in your hand or something. Huh? It's not what you believe. And an accent. An accent would help. But that you believe. But to me, that is, be, is like saying this. It's not what you eat, but that you eat. Now, Annette and I were just on a week cruise. And I, can't, I think I found out that for... Many Americans on a cruise ship, it's just not what you eat, that you just get to eat all the time. I mean, it's, I think people should weigh themselves when they get on the boat and weigh themselves when they get off the boat. It's amazing how the boat just seems to go up when, uh, it's not what you eat, but do you, do you believe that? I mean, the way some, we Americans eat, maybe, but how about this? It's not what you breathe, but that you breathe. We live in the chemical corridor of the world almost. How about those people in East Palestine? It's not what you breathe. Just breathe that stuff in. Who cares? Nobody lives that way. How about it's not what you invest in, but that you invest. Any financial managers here? Now, this one may be true. If you're getting older, this can be true. It's not what you marry, but that you marry. So, I, I don't know. Um, but what, what, do we, what do we really believe? Does declaring what is true for us make it true? Now, think about that. Because these are the things that are being talked about today. On television, social media, everything. You just believe your truth. You have your truth. So, so we have a quote here from the high priestess of all wisdom, Oprah. Speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Now, I would love for her to unpack that for me. What are you talking about? 
So it wasn't true before you believed it, and then it was true. But then if you don't believe it, it's no longer the truth. Something else is the truth. No, truth is truth. Self, truth is self-validating. Truth is self-verifying. Truth is truth whether I believe it or not. I can believe with everything in me that gravity has nothing to do with me as I walk to the 50th floor of the One Shell Square building. And I can step off not believing in gravity for a moment. Gravity doesn't care if I believe in it. The truth is the truth. And so when Jesus says, I am the truth, he either is or he isn't. We're going to talk about that a whole lot more next week. But hear this. You know, we, one of the things about that people... Uh, kind of a shot against Christianity. Christianity is, is so exclusive. Well, newsflash, all religions are exclusive. Islam is exclusive. Mormonism is exclusive. Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, the Jehovah's Witnesses. So they can, since, since they're all exclusive and they're saying different things, they all can't be true at the same time if they conflict with one another. So if, you have, so if you have two things that claim to be true, but are contradicting one another, either one of them is false and the other one true, or this one is false and this one is true, or they're both false. So Hinduism has myriads of gods. In Mormonism, you yourself, if you're a good Mormon, can become the God of your own planet. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus was God or that he physically resurrected from the dead. Islam believes in one God. Christianity believes in one God as well, manifests in three persons. There's a law of contradiction that tells us something can't contradict itself and all those other things be true with all those contradictions. But what I love about the God of the Bible is that he did not ask us to chuck our brain at the door when it came to cons or, or concerning faith. In, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4, which is the great Jewish prayer, Moses writes God, uh, God saying this. This is the prayer. Hear, O Israel... The Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. So God in that, if that is truly God writing that, having Moses write that, the statement is God expects you and me to use the mind that he gave us to consider him, to think about him, to humbly if he is God, he is God. And if I'm a human, I'm a human. And as I think about those things, he, what the scripture says is that you will seek me, the truth, and you will find me when you search for me humbly. Now, that may be all hogwash. Again, not expecting you to believe it. Just giving you some statements about what it says. Jesus also said this. He said, I am... The life. Now the Bible teaches, and I'm not asking again for you to believe this, that we were made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says that God made us in his image. No other, no other character 
No other creation did God make that was in his image but man. But man marred our relationship with God when we rebelled from him, when Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden and said they will do what they want. God said you can eat of any of the trees of the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the first humans rebelled and declared their independence from God. And what happened? God said, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, death in the Bible doesn't mean annihilation. It means separation. And what happened? They immediately died in their relationship to God. They died in their spiritual relationship with God. Then they began to die in terms of their relationship with one another. The blame fest began, if you're familiar with Genesis 3. And then... They died ultimately to themselves, to their bodies. And we inherit that independent nature. And we prove that. It's proven every day. Whether you're 2 or 22 or 92, we want what we want when we, when we want it, and the heck with you. I mean, imagine, imagine if a 2-year-old could do 22-year-old damage. Could you imagine how horrible that is? Thankfully, two-year-olds can only do so much damage. And by 22, maybe we've got a few more filters or we know. But we do, and we prove it all the time, that we want what we want when we want it. We want to be independent. We want to call the shots. We want to have our own way. It was William Ernest Henley, a uh, famous uh, UK poet who wrote a poem called Invictus. And this is the last stanza of the poem. He wrote, it matters not how straight the gate, how fraught with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Tremendous faith statement here by Mr. Henley. It matters not how straight the gate. What's he alluding to here? Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says the way is narrow. And hard that leads to life. And few are they that find it. How fraught with punishment the scroll. You know what he's talking about here? The commandments. And then he makes an incredible faith decision which he could not back up. And he's certainly not, I don't think, backing it up today. I am the master of my faith. I determine what happens to me. I am the captain of my soul. I determine how I feel and what I do. Now, maybe you and I wouldn't be that leaning forward. But in any way, whether it was our progenitors, Adam and Eve, or Henley, or me, or any of you, we want what we want when we want it. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he comes into the midst of our self-reliance, and this is what he says. We're heading in the wrong, deray, or wrong direction. I am the way. We're believing a lie. I am the truth. And when it comes to your relationship with me, spiritually, you're dead. But I am the life. 
Now, Jesus makes some incredible, incredible claims. The question is, are they true? Are they believable? Is there any evidence to support what he says? Well, that's what we're going to be finding out. You see here in John's gospel that Jesus, written of Jesus, said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's that word life again. So apparently, if what the gospel says is true, Jesus is coming to give you and me something we cannot have without him. Now, that's either true or false, right? It's either true or false. We'll talk, as I said, more about that next week. But that God so loved... Now, let's just pull this word right here out and put your name. God so loved Josie that he gave Josie his only son, that if Josie would believe in him, she would not eternally perish, but she would have eternal life. See? For God so loved Angel that he gave his only son, that if Angel believed in him, she wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved Ian that, if he, gave, that, that he gave Ian his only son. Again, I know this is nice when we hear it corporately here, but... What about when God points this scripture right into your chest, into your heart and says, I loved you so much that I gave you my son. Do you have a clue as to what that means? Now, if this is true, there is nothing more important than you and I need to consider. If not, but how do you know? Can we know? Shia LaBeouf, some of you guys heard of Shia LaBeouf. He, he's, he's an interesting dude. Let's just put it that way. Um, he says, I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I'm not so sure about that. He said, I have no idea where this insecurity comes from. But it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it and I'd be on my way. It's a God-sized hole. I want 30, probably 38-year-old Shia LaBeouf now to meet uh, 400-year-old Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal, mathematician, philosopher. This is what Pascal said. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum. Sounds like Shia. In the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. That's either true or false. It can never be filled. Remember the Lewis quote? You aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. You aim at earth, you get neither. And every one of us know that, that have lived long enough, that nothing to date has fully satisfied you. Nothing to date has made you think, I don't have to do another thing. I am completely fulfilled in myself. Now, okay, I'm about done. So, the question is, what are we thinking about? What are we 
thinking about. All the stuff we accumulate in the dash is just going to let be left to those who are behind us. We're not going to take anything in our storage units, our houses, our 401ks, our bank accounts, nothing. But here's a question. What if that unfulfilling stuff is for the purpose of us finding out that is unfulfilling stuff so that we will think and slow down and hit the brakes to find out what this real life is that Jesus Christ says he came to give us that nothing in this world could give us. So I just want you to spend a little time with us over the next seven weeks. Would you do that? Okay, now if you live 70 years, this is, I don't know where they come up with these numbers, but you'll sleep 20 years in three months. Isn't that crazy? This is on norm. I know some of you people don't sleep at all. But you'll watch TV for 10 years in five months. You'll, you'll drive around or be in some form of transportation for five years and seven months. You'll eat or drink seven years and six months. Unless you're on a cruise, that'll be doubled. Um, you'll live at age 70, if you live to the average age, about 87,658 more hours. Can you see all the time that we spend here? All I'm asking you is for 24 of those hours. About eight weeks, eight weeks of alpha is about 24 hours. If you're young, you've got plenty of hours left. If you're old, you still got more left. Um, and so alpha is an invitation to slow down, enjoy a good meal, enjoy some nice folks, and find out that if there is really more to life than this. Now, one thing I want you to do. Now, in a moment, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break, get some coffee, tea, whatever you want. Um, we're going to come back to our tables. We're going we're gonna to talk for as long as you can stand it. We typically go till about 840. Um, it's going to get loud in here. So try to keep, you know, the one person at a table talking at a time. Now, look. If you don't want to talk, you don't have to. You don't have to. So don't feel any pressure to talk. But I was reading this, this Yahoo News article that says this. Happy people talk and with more substance. So if you talk more, if you don't talk at all, we're just going to assume you're, you're miserable and really depressed. <laughs> so... Anyway, we thank you guys for coming. Hope you'll come back next week. I want to encourage you, if you'd like to bring somebody back with you, please do. We got room, but we truly appreciate you coming. Uh, let's take a quick break and get back to, uh, to our tables.